are you like this? Okay, just do it right into the mic, please. You're listening to Oh No Lick Class. Mostly dead authors, fresh takes. Ruining required reading, one book at a time. Welcome to Oh No Lit Class, the podcast that got Dostoevsky novels in its stockings for Christmas. Not because we wanted it, but because it's what we deserve. I'm Megan. I'm still Alice. No, no that's, that's not right. No, yeah. that's nothing to anyone. <laughs> um, Julianne Moore? <laughs> How old is that movie by now? I'm still RJ. For, for the four people who saw it. So, uh, you ever say you're ending your podcast, but that there's still a few episodes left? And then you just kind of shut down about it completely because you start freaking out and then you don't make a new episode for nine months. Hey, episode two of Ono Law Class comes out next week. Don't say that. Don't say things like that. Weak is a strong word. Aspirational. Me neither. Anyway, now that we got that out of the way. He's still pravi. Yeah, he is still pravi. Yes, what are your thoughts, Brad? This is, this is coming out after Christmas, but we're recording it on Christmas Eve, and I've checked the weather, and uh, it seems we're not getting a white Christmas, RJ. Have you looked at this room? <laughs> I, I mean, I mean weather-wise. We're not getting, not getting a white Christmas, but a green one, because climate change. Grinch. And also because today we're talking the about... The who's? Today... Oh, no, the Lorax. That was the last, that was what we did before we disappeared for a long time. No, we didn't. It's fine. No, we're talking about... We came back. We saw green. We saw the trees. The trees were gone, but now we're back because they're back. What? What? I feel like I'm having a fucking stroke. We're talking about Super Wayne and the Green Knight. For those of us who've been working on Duolingo during the pandemic times, expanding our minds, traveling up here. No one can see what you're doing when you do that. I know it's been a long time since we've been behind the microphone. Audio medium, theater of the mind. Verde. I hate you. The Verde night. Sir Gawain or Gawain. 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 Uh, Depending. Both uh, pronunciations are apparently correct from what I have researched. I looked it up because I always thought thought it was was Gawain. And then we went and saw the Dev Patel movie and they kept calling Gawain. Sir Gawain. Always like that. Apparently either is good. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is an Arthurian poem. And when I say poem, I mean like how Beowulf is a poem. Or the Divine Comedy is a poem. Which I'm, I'm never not going to be weird about that. Roses are red. You got a lot of this pent up, huh? <laughs> That's <laughs> uh, a poem. <laughs> uh, also, like Beowulf, this poem was authored by... Someone. Spoilers. Someone. I don't know. Somebody. A, a poet of some sort, but RJ will tell us more about that one. Surviving versions of the manuscript date back to the 14th century, but it wasn't actually published and available for people to experience until all the way in 1839, when some dude who worked at the British Museum named Sir Frederick Madden went, hmm, maybe I'll fuck around and translate this poem we've got lying around. It's 1839, I got fuck all better to do. The exact wording from Wikipedia is that he, quote, 
recognized the poem as worth reading that nobody saw until he looked at that poem and was like, I recognize this as worth reading, which, yeah, how does that work, you think? What? Recognizing a poem as worth reading. You read it, you go, huh, this one's okay. Yeah, it's like when you watch a movie, Meg, it's not one of the critically acclaimed movies, and you go, oh, yeah, I get it. I guess I'll translate this. Yeah. Anyway, it got translated many more times over the ensuing not quite 200 years, including in a Middle English version in 1925 by everyone's favorite fantasy nerd and least favorite professor, J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, Tolkien! Thank, thank you for your contribution. Token, token. Joking, token? Joking, rolking, rolking, Tolkien. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually, people started translating it into a format and language that was actually readable and understandable for people who weren't Jolkin, Rolkin, Rolkin, Tolkien, and was officially accepted into academic canon uh, in 1968. I thought you said it wasn't a white Christmas. <laughs> uh, 1968, when it was published in the second uh, edition of the Norton Anthology of English Literature. Because Norton is, like, in charge of shit like that, I guess. The ultimate gatekeeper. Until you're in Norton, <laughs> you're not taught. Apparently, yeah. I don't know why. I, I just know I own several copies of different Norton anthologies that are heavy enough to club a man to death with because this is the life I've chosen for myself. Dry history stuff aside, like, most Arthurian legends, or at least the ones that I'm aware of, that were, like, either turned into weird 90s miniseries starring Sam Neill... Or weird 90s movie starring Richard Gere. Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is full of magic, chivalry, quests, fights, and kissing the homies goodnight. Uh, it's also just symbolic as all fuck. I'm, I'm gonna go more into that stuff later, but gosh, this text can fit so much symbolism in it. You want an easy essay? Read this bad boy and draw literally whatever conclusions you want from it. You will be able to support whatever reading your heart desires, which many... Many academics have just gone ahead and done. But before we get into any of that, RJ, what can you tell us about the history of the mystery of the Gawain poet? Yes, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. As you may suspect, and many scholars agree, the author of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight is the same person as who first wrote Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. The as end. happens. <laughs> as for who that might be, well... That's unclear. <laughs> they may simply be the Gawain poet, as some scholars refer to them. It is also acceptable to refer to them as that dude, or some 14th century D&D GM. <laughs> Other scholars call them by the title of another work they attribute to them, and call them the Pearl Poet. And I will follow the lead of the minority of scholars and refer to them as the Pearl Poet, a.k.a. Pee-pee for short. Yeah, there we go. I'm sure you were so fucking excited when you saw that. So to get to know this mysterious pee-pee, we must go on a long journey. A long pee-pee quest, if you must. But do must we? <laughs> do we must? This is a no short pee-pee zone, I'm afraid. <laughs> Damn it. So if you can't handle it long and thorough, get off the pee-pee now. Get off the pearl poet? Yeah. <laughs> Get off this journey. How many of these you got? <laughs> I got a new paragraph. <laughs> That's the end of the paragraph. He doesn't, he doesn't like it either. Yeah, he wants more. He's like, That's it. <laughs> we can get so much mileage out of pee pee. <laughs> the original Gawain survives in a single manuscript. 
the Cotton Nero AX. The Cotton Nero AX is a fairly small volume written on vellum. It is part of the Cotton or Cottonian Library, a collection of manuscripts once owned by Sir Robert Bruce Cotton, who lived 1571 to 1631 and was an antiquarian and a bibliophile. Really into books. Uh, yeah, yeah, got that. Really? I, I have never heard someone say the word antiquarian outside of a H.P. Lovecraft story. The collection later became the basis of what is now known as the British Library, which still holds the collection for nosy curators to go around, read it, and go, oh, this is actually worth reading. <laughs> now, if the Cotton Library sounds familiar, it is also because it is the same collection which had the oldest extant copy of Beowulf, which we discussed in our episode on that hunk of a man meat and that literal motherfucker. Hey. Hey. If you're wondering about the name of the manuscript, Cotton Nero AX, what it means is that it was owned by the Cotton Library, and while there it sat under the bust of Nero on the A shelf, the top shelf, and was the 10th book over from the left. That is not what I expected. Other busts in the library included that of Caligula, Tiberius, Augustus, Julius, and of course, Cleopatra. Now, were these, like, sorted in a specific way, you think? Where it was like, all right, all the weird, horny shit's going under the bust of Caligula. No, just where it was. Yeah. And when they found him, they go, oh, it was under here. I mean, though, what collection would be complete without one bust that was missing? The talking head of Tricky Dicky Nixon. That's a, oh, that's a well. reach, seeing as he didn't exist for a very, very long time. When I think of headless bodies. Or I take that back. When I think of bodyless heads. <laughs> when you think of headless bodies. <laughs> you know, we don't make he enough headless busts. <laughs> oh, and when I think of bodyless heads and bust, the living bust of Richard Nixon. You want to do your impression, Meg? No, I don't have I can't do a Nixon impression. Can you? Yeah. Do it. <laughs> yes. Who can remember all the memorable times when President Nixon stepped up towards the podium to address the American public and went. Three other poems in the manuscript include cleanness. Not cleanliness. Cleanness. I see. Patience and pearl. Based on the writing style and word choice, as well as the common themes, many scholars believe that the same author wrote all the poems, and thus, the Godwin poet is also known as Pee Pee, the Pearl Poet. The artist formerly known as Pee Pee. <laughs> <laughs> Additionally, scholars believe that the manuscript may be a copy of a lost deluxe manuscript. The text of the manuscript contains errors, erasures, and corrections. Despite perhaps just being a copy, the text is well-preserved, which is good as it's the only copy, and... Without it, none of these poems would ever be known. This manuscript is also unusual in that it is one of the few illustrated manuscripts from the time period. It contains a total of 12 illustrations, four of which depict the events from the tale at the heart of today's episode. I enjoyed that a critic said of the illustrations in the manuscript, quote, Compared to other illustrations of the time period, the illustrations are unimpressive, suggesting that the artist had limited training or talents. Like to see what you do, asshole. Now, I did look up the illustrations. Yeah. Not very good. <laughs> a little rough. A little rough. Still, though, I mean, you know, everyone's a critic. Now think of this, Meg. If it wasn't for some rich hoarder of books, the world would never know this tale, nor these unimpressive illustrations. 
So remember the next time you're watching Hoarders on A&E. You're just watching the modern day version of the Condon Library being torn apart. Yeah, totally the same thing. I guess this raises the question. Mm. Is hoarding classier if you keep your hoardings under the bust of dead Romans? I mean, clearly, yes. Or Cleopatra. Egyptian, but got with a Roman dude. So, you know, all those empty cereal boxes or whatever the hell that you're hoarding, just put them under a bust of Cleopatra. Then in the future, some Brit at the British Library might go, hey, this was worth looking at. Hmm. Art. <laughs> some Sir Frederick Madden years from now will be like, mm, yep, that's art, baby. Anyway, based on the manuscript, what we know about GPPP, the Gawain and Pearl Poet, is that they wrote... Did you throw another P in there? Oh, no. Gawain Poet, Pearl Poet. Ah. So GP, PP. You can put a slash in there. So it could be GP slash PP. Or the famous GP plus PP. Romeo plus who the yet. Anyway. Anyway. Based on the manuscript that we know about GPPP is that they wrote and were alive in the 14th century at Astra. What? Yep. What? Yep. You want me to work in random movies? I could do that easy. I don't understand. It's at AD. Just add Astra. That means nothing to anyone. Someone's seen that movie, I'm sure. You know, that's a big <laughs> that's a big guess. I don't know. I, hey. I don't know anyone who's seen Ad Astra. We haven't even seen Ad Astra. <laughs> no. And we've seen a lot of shit. If you've seen Ad Astra, <laughs> add us. <laughs> On Discord, <laughs> Twitter, Facebook, somewhere. No, Let us know. You know. I mean... Facebook is abandoned. I oh, excuse me, excuse me, Meta, Metaverse. That <laughs> you can add us on Twitter or on our Discord. Uh, well, it's not really our Discord. It's the Discord for the other one of the other podcasts that I do called the Weird, but it's pretty much largely full of expats from the Ono Licklass Facebook group. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. It'll it's good. Let us know if you've seen that. <laughs> Starring Brad Pitt and is others. it Tommy Lee Jones? Others, I don't fucking know. No, it was a Robert Duvall. Do I have to look? Is it like some space cowboy? Are you? That was a Clint Eastwood. <laughs> was it Donald Sutherland? And then other and right, the right, right, last right. one, I can't remember the. Well, who was his dad? There was his dad. I don't know. I, are we really going to Google it? Or Brad Pitt? I got that part. He, he was Tommy Lee Jones. Okay, it's it's you know it's almost like you saw it basically. And yeah, Tyler's there, so we got some Armageddon. We got people who've been to space. <laughs> you want to get people who've been to space for your space movie? It makes it more credible. But yeah, they they've faked it before. They could fake it again. <laughs> <laughs> so about the GPPP. All right. So in addition to the strong indications that the poet wrote Gawain, Pearl, Patience, and Cleanness. Many scholars also attribute the tale St. Erkenwald to them as well. That's a hell of a name. Another alliterative poem, St. Erkenwald imagines an encounter in the 7th century between the historical St. Erkenwald, Bishop of London in the 7th century, and a corpse from an even earlier period before the Roman conquest of Britain. Erkenwald and corpse pow around and ponder what it means to be British as compared to being English and what it means to be a good Christian versus not being a good Christian. Turns out the corpse is in limbo and thus just hanging around, got time to kill until Erkenwald cries on the corpse and because Erkenwald is just so Christian, it serves as a baptism and the corpse gets snappened and ascends into heaven as a bunch of dust. The end. 
That doesn't sound nearly as much fun as the poem we're going to talk about. That is, that's pretty fun to me. Where's the movie on this? You some guy in a corpse is kind of pounding around. And then he cries on him and kills him. But sends him to heaven. Bittersweet. Got it all. So how did the writer of that story get linked to being the same writer as Gawain and the other poems? Language. Language? Yeah, based on the language of all the works, scholars claim the writer is clearly a contemporary of Chaucer and that the dialect used in all the works are indicative of Northwestern Staffordshire and Southeastern Cheshire in the English Midlands. Okay. You ever do one of those tasks asking you which phrase you use to describe the corner opposite of you at a street intersection? Oh, yeah. And they're like, who says like catty corner or something? Mm -hmm. Or what do you call it when it's raining and the sun's out? Whether or not you just call it rain or you call it a sun shower or if you're in like a very specific part of Michigan or some shit, it's called like the devil is beating his wife, which is, I realize sounds bug fucking insane, but Google it. So it's like that, but done by language and literature nerds. Scholars point to the fact that the poet began writing during a time of rapid change and development in the language used in English literature. English. The language is moving towards its modern form, away from Middle English, and the author's language was arguably also influenced by 14th century social developments, particularly the movement towards a more anglicized ruling class and political identity, and by changes in the English language, primarily driven by exposure to dialects of French. It's interesting that it's like weird in such a way that they can pinpoint it to like a certain time because that's when all the weird language shit was happening. Perhaps you've heard of the great vowel shift before. This was part of that. Our sound for a long A, like in the word mate, used to be the sound for a short A, so it was more like mot. And our long I sound used to sound like a long E, so bite used to sound a lot like beat, among other changes. Interesting. And it happened over time, and so looking at how this author and other authors rhymed, they can kind of figure out where were we on the spectrum of vowel changes. Uh you'd be like, that shit don't rhyme, and then you gotta, gotta put it together. Right. That's cool. Anyway, because of the rhyming schemes used by the writer, the writing can be placed in that 14th century time frame. Based on the subject matter, scholars argue that the poet seems to have been well-educated, shows a deep knowledge of the technical vocabulary of hunting, based on their descriptions of horn signals in Gawain, and also demonstrating knowledge of royal courts, vividly describing the landscape of the region, and has an interest in poverty as a Christian virtue. <laughs> I'm laughing in 2021 at that. The author never refers to contemporary scholarship, whereas the, a writer like Chaucer does. Instead, the poems attributed to the writer show a tendency to refer to materials from the past, the Arthurian legends, stories from the Bible, rather than any new learning, so the poet was likely not associated with universities, monasteries, or the court in London. Formerly mentioned, J.R.R. Tolkien undertook a study of the unnamed poet and concluded with E.V. Gordon, quote, He was a man of serious and devout mind. Though not without humor, he had an interest in theology and some knowledge of it. Though an amateur knowledge, perhaps, rather than a professional, he had Latin and French and was well enough read in French books, both romantic and instructive, but his home was in the West Midlands of England. So much his language shows as his meter and his scenery. Scholars have proposed a handful of serious, possible people who could have been the poet. One is Sir John Donne. No, not the poet John Donne who wrote about getting down and dirty that we've covered on here before, but a previous, different John Donne. No. 
Look, when it seems like every other English guy is named John, you're bound to get multiples. Yeah, that's fair. Sir John Dunn was born sometime in the 1420s and died January 1503. He was born in France, and during his life, he became a Welsh courtier, diplomat, and soldier. He also served as a notable figure of the Yorkist party. In short, someone with knowledge of French, Latin, government, but not closely tied to London or universities. And while it's not clear Sir John Dunn may well have been related to the Jacobian John Dunn, it would not have been as a direct ancestor, as Sir John Dunn had no grandchildren. John Massey is another name thrown around, but scholars cannot even narrow down who John Massey was. He himself could have been one of several people. And maybe he was the same person known as Dunham Massey or Thomas Massey. It's unclear. It sounds like it gets really confusing really quickly. Massey's brought up as his name is mentioned as the author of St. Erkenwald in several places. And since it's connected to the Godwin poet, well, it's just one big old bad game of telephone. A more modern guess lands on Huchon. Huchun. Huchun? Oh boy. H-U-C-H-O-U-N. Huchun. Also known in scholarly circles. Truly, this is not me making it up. Oh, God. As Little Hugh. <laughs> they refer to him as Little Hugh. No one wants to say that name. Yeah, what? Well, I don't blame them. The evidence that exists that points to Little Hugh being or being associated with the Godwin poem is that there was a Scottish knight by the name of Hugh of Englinton who may have authored several pieces of alliterative verse. A Middle English writer wrote about the great writer that is Hugh from Scotland and mentioned some of his works. You couple this with the fact that in Nero, A-X, the manuscript, the words Hugo Day is scribbled in the margins, added in a later hand, and identifies some of the works mentioned by the writer who mentioned Hugh. Well, baby, you got a literature conspiracy going. <laughs> all in all, though, all these are guesses and no one really knows who PP might really be. Mystery peepee. My mother always told me to avoid mystery peepee. <laughs> Despite not knowing the author, Gawain remains one of the best known Arthurian stories. Arthur? Yeah, why, Arthur. why are you not putting <laughs> R in Arthur? I'm British. Soft R, not the Rhotic R. <laughs> the Green Knight has been interpreted as a representation of the Green Man of ancient Celtic folklore but also as an allusion to Christ and the resurrection, since according to scholars, quote, the word evergreen suggests eternally alive and growing. The Christmas tree and evergreen is symbolic of the ever-living Christ. And isn't that really the meaning of this season? Aww. Aww. And now Megan will continue down this evergreen path and will let Christ into their soul. <laughs> Excuse me? And will explain the Green Knight. Diane, this is Agent Delaney. We finished investigating the howling waller beast of Bog Valley. Its venom sacs were paralytic, but it was a wonderful kisser. Diane, Agent Bishop thinks that psychic from Montana who tried to take over my body might have damaged the part of my brain that perceives time. Now I'm not sure if it's lunchtime or Tuesday. Diane, been watching that new show Friends very closely and have determined that I might be a Phoebe. Agent Bishop is definitely a Monica. 
and Ross is a parasitic blood demon that the gang should exercise immediately for their own safety. Uh, who are you talking to? Don't worry about it, Monica. You are aware there's no tape in that recorder, right? No. No, I took it out earlier, like- Why it's... are you touching my things? It was a full tape. You've been doing this all day. What exactly are you doing, anyways? I was just telling Diane about The Weird, an actual play audio drama that you can listen to at jointheweird.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So we're doing a meta thing then. Okay, cool. I see, I see what it is. I'm going to go back to paperwork. Yes, you do that. Such a Monica. Dan, I thought the goat man skull I keep in the office and started whispering. Alright, uh, so... Hey, Mac. Yeah, RJ? You're gonna sing It uh, Feels Silly Being Green, you know, by Kermit the Frog? Kermit the Frog? <laughs> yeah. Feels green? silly no, being what is green? No, what is it? Wait, 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 wait. It Feels Silly Being Green by Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog here. Uh, it's not easy being green. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Your version can be it's silly being green. Are you going to sing that? No. Now what if... Oh my god, you're not going to let me start this. Kermit the Frog was the Green Knight. Why are you saying it like he's Megan the Stallion? <laughs> well, because he's Kermit the Frog. That's how he says it. I feel bad that people at home are missing out on the fact that, like, you do a literal bounce with your whole body every time you go, Kermit the Frog. Oh, you gotta nail it. <laughs> of all the colors in the rainbow. Oh, no, okay, let's get into the holiday spirit. Oh, no, that's though. Rainbow Connection. Yeah, that's true. That's a different <laughs> song. That's why are there so many songs about rainbows? Yeah, so what's the green song? How's that go? It's, I don't remember. It's I remember Rainbow green. Connection. Let's get into it with a rundown of Circuit and the Green Knight. First, we must let Jesus in. I'm not letting Jesus in. How about Jesus? I'll consider it. Jesus. Definitely not. The poem opens with the fall of Troy, just mentioned in passing. Don't worry, we're not going to get into it. And how after that, Romulus went to found Rome. Some other dude, it doesn't matter, founded Tuscany. And Brutus founded Britain. Home to the greatest king ever, according to the text, anyway. King Arthur. Who doesn't love King Arthur? King Arthur II, because he killed that fucker. That's not a thing. Uh, lots of people don't love King Arthur, but those are different poems we don't have time for. Mrs. King Arthur. Anyway, speaking of Jesus... Because he just never took out the trash. Her name was Guinevere. I mean, we're going to talk about Oh, Gwendolyn. You know, it, you talk about Jesus as Christmas in Camelot. And back in the day, apparently that meant feasting, drinking, and just generally having a good time for 15 days straight. What up? Like, fuck people whining about, like, taking the Christ out of Christmas. Why don't we do two-week-long Christmas bacchanalias anymore? Well, it takes a while to get Christ into you. It takes 15 days. <laughs> I blame capitalism, personally. Uh, anyway, it's now New Year's Day. I'm assuming calendars were laid out differently back then. I don't know. Yeah, so New Year's Day would not be the first day of the year? Well, no, no, that it would be two weeks from Christmas to New Year's. Oh. Yeah, like I saw you doing math in your head there. <laughs> what was it, like the 25 days of Christmas? I, Something yeah. like that, yeah. It just doesn't matter. Well, you do the song. I get five know. bees, two birds, a gold ring. Everyone at the round table is just toasted as shit, and King Arthur's like, all right, 
New game, someone tell me their best and coolest story, which really isn't a game in the strictest sense of the word, but we're going to get a lot of that. And then, blam, a mysterious knight just fucking rides into the hall on horseback, which is a great entrance. Like, that's powerful. Um, and the knight... No, a real man comes in under the horse. He's <laughs> just, what, clinging to the underside of the horse? Yeah, it's a good core workout. Yeah, I, I mean, you're really demonstrating, I'm fucking strong. Yeah, that's true. Well, this knight is just demonstrating that he's very into theming because his armor and his horse and his hair and his beard and his big massive axe are all green. And I'm green. <laughs> and green everything is, is green, green to me. <laughs> the green horse and a little green. Um, brief, I'm green. Body, bee, bop, 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 bop. Yeah, brief detour here on the subject of the mysterious knight and his greenness. So there's some obvious symbolism in green equaling nature, fertility, etc., as well as like often supernatural fairy shit and witchcraft and such. Um, a lot of times he is literally represented as a big tree man, including on the cover of uh, Tolkien's adaptation. But also he represents like civilized man with his emphasis on like a code of honor and integrity and like knight things. So he's kind of like this contradiction of a character, even just in his name, Green Knight, that these are, at least in the general context of medieval literature, two opposing forces, which is extremely interesting. That's without even touching on Celtic mythology, where like green is associated with misfortune and death and decay. But also, some scholars have argued that this is all just a big misunderstanding due to, as is often the case in old-timey literature, a mistranslation. Or colorblindness. Possibly that, too. Uh, in this case... Of the Irish word glass, gla, gla, I don't know. It's a G, it's G L A S, but I know that they don't. It's not gonna be pronounced that way. Uh, which could mean either gray or green, or an identical word that is gets confused for in Cornish, which is the same thing. G L A S. I'm not gonna try to fucking pronounce it. Well, except I am right now. Glass, gla uh, has been used to denote a range of colors: light blue, gray, sea green, grass. Just fucking whatever, I guess. Which seems like a very confusing and context-dependent word without even considering the possibility of mistranslation. So it might not have meant, like, the man of green mantle. It might have meant the man of gray mantle. And described him as, like, milk-colored or shadowy. Which is a totally different thing! And also maybe makes more sense than this dude just being, like, the green remix of the blue song. But this is what we got. Who knows? Well, it's like in the Bible. Everything was wine-colored. Everything's not wine-colored. The sky was wine. The sea was wine. Well, that's the whole thing about, like, blues and describe like, which, which, like, culture got the color blue. Anyway, this mean green motherfucker crashes into the hall on a big green horse and demands to speak to the man in charge. And everyone is just like, what the fuck is I'm happening? down here, <laughs> under the horse. <laughs> Step closer. <laughs> I mean, that's probably why everyone is even more confused. And so I can look up at you. Arthur stands up and says that he's the one in charge and that, you know, he's real interested in whatever this guy has to say, but, like, can he please get off his horse? He is scaring everyone. <laughs> and if he was clinging to the underside of the horse, he'd probably still be scaring everyone. Oh, that's probably why he's scaring everyone. Have these people never seen someone on a horse before? Of course <laughs> they have. So the only possible way he could be riding the horse that scares him Would you is not hanging be scared underneath. if someone rode a horse into your fucking, like, dining room? No. <laughs> That's not where horses go! Okay, horse essentialist. What does that mean? 
Anyway. It's not a binary, Meg. Look, the name. It's a spectrum of where horses belong. (laughs) The knight says, no, fuck you. I'm staying on my horse. No, no. The knight says, nay. Just like the horse. Nay. Fuck you. Also, I'm here because I heard that your knights are the best knights and I want to play a game with them. And Arthur is like, you mean you you want to fight? And the knight goes, no, 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 no. I come in peace. I don't want to fight anyone. I just want to play a friendly game where someone gets to hit me with an axe and then a year and a day later, I will come back and hit them with an axe. As you do. Now, this was news to me, RJ, but there's a precedence for this. You ever heard of the beheading game? I've heard of the Christmas game. This is also that. This yeah. is the Christmas beheading game. It's a, apparently a common medieval trope because life was just like that back then, I guess. It is literally what it sounds like. Two players exchange blows that could potentially behead the other. This poem is one of the most famous examples of this fun and friendly game between two bros, but is by no means the first, which was a lot for me to process. Well, now we got the sport where you slap the person in the face and they slap you back in the face. <laughs> Until one of you passes out. Yep. What? <laughs> no, you never seen this? No, I have not. It's like arm wrestling, but face slapping. Okay. Well, this was like that, but chopping your head off. So... <laughs> well, I mean, maybe if you <laughs> slap someone's head hard enough. <laughs> yeah, you ever seen that? <laughs> not on YouTube, but who knows what the media is hiding from me. Who knows? So yeah, the knight proposes this fun little holiday game of whack a night, and unsurprisingly, nobody is leaping up to volunteer to play. The knight starts calling them all cowards, which feels a little unwarranted. Like, wah, no one wants to play my choppy death game. You're all just a bunch of sissies. Wah. He calls them, um, what is it, beardless children? Which <laughs> introduces the concept of bearded children. Oh, Megan, excuse you, we just watched The Grinch yesterday. <laughs> and the big plot point is The Grinch is a bearded eight-year-old. That's true, you're right. So now I'm imagining The Green Knight's The Grinch. Yes, a big bearded green guy. Yeah, okay. I'm, you know what? I'm running with this. It is it's the Grinch. And Arthur agrees to do it. So, like, he'll shut up. And then suddenly his nephew, a young knight named Gawain, or Gawain, depending, says, Nah, uncle, let me do it, even though I am but the babiest of all your knights. And the green knight repeats the, the terms of the game, including the part about, Hey, whatever you do to me, I get to do to you, so maybe consider that when you... And Gwen chops his head right off. Blah, blah, blah. Boy or plate, boy or plate. Yeah. <laughs> Terms and conditions. I got lawyers. So yeah, uh, his head, which is spurting blood, rolls around the room, presumably creating quite a splash zone, before, uh-oh, the knight's body reaches down, grabs his head, waves it in front of Arthur's wife, Queen Guinevere, specifically, like, ah. And then reiterates that Gawain can expect the same in a year's time before leaving the hall. Arthur and Gawain keep the axe and hang it up as a cool piece of decor, and everyone goes back to partying, and no one seems terribly perturbed by the whole experience. Arthur's even like, hey, Gawain, you you won my game, because this is a hell of a story. And then the poem spends a good long while describing the changes of the seasons as the year passes, and it becomes time for Gawain to set out to the Green Chapel to meet the knight and presumably get his head chopped off. The reality of the situation has now sunken in, and he's understandably pretty freaked out, but he's a knight. And so he's honor-bound to not wimp out about it and go to his death like a good chivalric boy. People are very upset that such a good knightly boy has to die to uphold a, quote, Christmas jest. Um, we get a lot of description about how pretty and cool his armor is, which is full of religious symbolism, but we ain't got all day. And then he's off to try to find the Green Chapel, because no one actually knows where it is. 
The knight was like, hey, come find me in my special chapel a year from now. No, I will not give directions. Figure it out. It's the green one. <laughs> just walk, just keep walking until you see a green one. It's Which, fine. Then this goes back to what you said earlier. I think this leads credence to it being green. Because if you said gray or cream colored, they're all that color. There's going to be one green <laughs> chapel. As Gawain hunts up and down the countryside for the chapel, he fights bulls, bears, wolves, giants, cubs, dragons, twinks, <laughs> otters, <laughs> butches, femmes, twunks, twunks. <laughs> we never actually get to see any of these fights. We're just told that they happened and were very cool. And he's riding under his horse the whole time, too. Oh, yeah, he picked that no, up. No, I'm asking you. No, no. He, did, he didn't pick that up no, from the Green Knight? No, only, only the Green Knight does that. Okay. He has constant nightmares and is almost always nightmares. on the verge of freezing to death. <laughs> God damn you. <laughs> on Christmas Eve, he prays to the Virgin Mary to help him find a place to attend Christmas Mass and also not die. And pff, there's a big fancy castle in front of him. Gawain doesn't question this. He just praises the Lord and heads inside. Inside the castle, what do you think he finds? Which castle? This castle that you're the not, you're not listening. He prays for a place where he can go to Christmas Mass, and then suddenly there's just a castle, and he's like, fuck yeah, awesome. It's one of the McDonald's castles. There's a ball pit. Oh, sick. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. It's a play castle. It's got like a little chapel for mass and then it's got a ball pit. <laughs> Once you're done with that, you confess your sins, you get extra time in the ball pit. With the bears, otters, <laughs> twunks, twinks. Oh, no, this this is this is a whole court of, of fancy lords and ladies and they're all starstruck about getting to meet King Arthur's nephew and they ask him to teach them all about, like, being courtly or whatever, because he's from the big city. He's fancy. The Lord of the Manor, whose name we don't get, is an imposing, intense, and just kind of scary-looking dude, but he's very nice to Gawain. He gives him a fancy bed and nice food and introduces Gawain to his hot wife and also another woman who's just sort of old and wrinkly and gross and definitely just a random old lady who is in no way narratively important. Wink, wink. Like... Yes, Gawain, I want you to meet my beautiful wife and also this one old lady specifically. Now kiss me and go to bed. And Gawain does. And he proceeds to hang out and party for two days before being like, hey, this has been fun, but my deadline is in three days and I still don't His know where... deadline? <laughs> yes! <laughs> Did he have any more nightmares? Thank you. Um... I don't know where the Green Chapel is, so, like, I gotta bounce. And the Lord says, hey, I, I know where that is. It's just a couple miles away. Like, you could be there in two seconds, so just keep hanging out here till then. But also, let's play a game. <laughs> You'd think that phrase would set alarm bells off in, in Gawain's head. <laughs> Do you want to play a game? <laughs> But uh, no, he just, you know, he's just like, neat, what game? And the Lord tells him that for the next three days, he's going to go out and hunt. And he wants going to stay at the castle with his wife and the old woman and just chill. And at the end of each day, they will exchange whatever they've won. Which again, doesn't sound like a game at all. Like, what's the object? How do you win? You got to outdo the other one. Well, Pride. How is he supposed to do that when he's like, you stay at my house and don't do fuck all. I'm gone. You can't. You gotta, gotta get some good stuff. <laughs> gotta think about it. Well, Gawain's like, you know, yeah, sure, that sounds fun. And then they kiss again, and they go to bed. 
but it's fine. There was a lot of socially acceptable dude kissing back then. We don't need to make it into a sexual thing. But there's plenty of things in the world that we don't need to do, but we'll absolutely do anyway. Fuck you, you're not my mom. Day one, the Lord goes out to hunt, and Gwen's still in bed. He hears the Lord's wife enter his room and pretends to still be asleep as she climbs in bed next to him. And he makes a big show of, like, waking up and being like, Whoa, hey, what? when did you get here? And she's like, hee hee, I snuck up on you and I've captured you. Hee hee, what if I tied you to the bed? This is a fun game we're playing. Yeah, man. <laughs> 2021, you gotta pay a lot for that kind of service. It's true. Gawain's like, yes it is, but also can you leave so I can put pants on? And the lady says, no, no, this is happening. And then she says that she wishes she could have married him. And Gawain tries very hard to be like a good chaste boy until the Lord's wife is like, are, are you even Sir Gawain actually? Because I bet the real one wouldn't let a hot lady leave his room without stealing a kiss. And he's like, yeah, okay, fine. And he kisses her and then goes directly to mass to purge those horny impulses. The Lord comes back at the end of the day with the deer he killed and is like, here's some deer meat. What do you have for me from your day? And what do you what do you think he does? Kisses him square on the lips. Kiss your lord of the manor square on the lips. <laughs> he does. Um, and the lord's like, oh, well, where did you get that from? And Gawain says that they never agreed to say where they got their winnings from as part of the game, a.k.a. It's a secret. And the lord is fine with this, presumably because it means he gets to kiss a cute boy. Or maybe he already knows and is just into getting cucked. Some people like to get cucked. The whole game does have the vibe of a poorly disguised kink thing anyway, as we will see. <laughs> Day two, the Lord hunts a boar while his wife tries to argue that Gawain is being unchivalrous by not fucking her. The logic being like, well, I am above you in station, so if you don't do what I tell you and submit yourself to me sexually, you're being a bad knight. <laughs> you can't argue with that logic. But he finds, he finds a way to, um, he relents and he gives her two kisses, which she then in turn Where? gives to the, we, the chick, cheek, I think. I don't know. Which cheek? <laughs> he gives her two kisses on the butt cheek and he in turn gives those to the Lord at the end of the day. This is absolutely a sex thing that Gawain has gotten himself roped into with these two. Day three, the Lord hunts a fox. Gawain has a nightmare about the green knight. Oh, another nightmare. Yes, he gets kissed three times by the lady, who also wants to give him a love token. And he's like, no! But then she offers him a green girdle and says it's magic and can protect the wearer from death. And Gawain, who's about to meet his big green maker, compromises his morals and takes her up on it. So, what is a girdle? Goes around your waist. Yeah, it's kind of like a religious belt, apparently. Yeah. Which I know sounds weird, but like, bear with me. It's the proper name of a cord used to hold your holy robes in place. Or alternatively, your special football and or hockey pants. These are the two main girdle uses according to Wikipedia. Jesus sports. <laughs> what brings you closer to Jesus than sports? So apparently girdles are deeply symbolic in literature to the point where there's a whole subsection on literary girdles on Wikipedia. I've learned so much. Haven't you ever heard, Meg? Gird your loins? Shit, yeah. That is uh, that is a thing. Now, famously, guess where the gird part comes from? Girdle. Whoa. So, uh, according to literature, if a dude wears a girdle, it symbolizes power and strength. And if a lady wears a girdle, it symbolizes protection. 
if a non-binary person wears a girdle, it just becomes a belt. <laughs> I have a quote here that says, it's like, for example, Odysseus wearing a girdle uh, allows him to swim for three days straight, and a girdle worn by Thor doubles his strength. And then for women, girdles become a sign of, like, virginity, and they're considered to have magical properties. Uh, that you could subdue monsters and evil if you've got your girdle. And then, like, there's this whole thing where prostitutes weren't allowed to wear girdles in historic France. Basically, it's like a magic chastity belt that can also make you better at killing monsters. So that's, that's kind of sick. Uh, that's a lot of fucking dense-ass symbolism to keep in the back of your mind as the Lord's wife offers this thing up to Gwen. At the end of the day, he gives the three kisses to the Lord, but he violates the rules of the game. By keeping the girdle to himself. Mm. 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 So Gwen never sleeps with the Lord's wife, but he still breaks the rules of both the Lord of the Manor's game and, you know, like, knightly honor and shit, because he's taking the girdle as a loophole in his agreement with the Green Knight. Also, some scholars have idly wondered that if Gawain had slept with the wife, how would he have transferred that gift to the Lord at the end of the day? Right on the face. He would have fucked him. Um, just, no, no, no. <laughs> I made a deposit today. It's, give for, me, it's for you. Give me a few minutes. <laughs> flap, flap, flap. Here you go. Did you just say flap, flap, flap? Flap, flap, flap. Okay, I was going to say, your dick got wings. Flap, flap. Oh, I mean, in a way. I say that's totally what he wanted to happen. That's what both him and his wife wanted to happen. They wanted to make it so Gawain had no choice but to sleep with the lord of, of the manor. I know I keep saying the lord sounds weird. Sure, you can go on and on about, like, parallels in the hunt and, like, who's prey and homosocial courtly behavior. But I really think that the lord and his lady were just looking for a third and decided to go about it in the most awkward way possible. <laughs> The next day, Gwen rides off to the Green Chapel, magic girdle about his waist, wishing blessings and joy upon the castle, just like, I sure had a nice time there, and it wasn't fucking weird at all. He has a guide to show him the way, but the guide is like, look, dude, if you just leave, I promise I won't tell anyone. Like, this is suicide. Please don't do it. And Gwen says that he must, or otherwise he'll be a big shitty coward, as if he isn't wearing a magic item that's gonna save him from being killed like a big shitty coward. Like, no, no, I must. I must be brave and do this. Like, you're wearing, a ch you're cheating. <laughs> uh, he finds a chapel in some spooky woods and announces himself as arriving and ready to rumble. The Green Knight appears and commends him on his punctuality, specifically, for raising his axe to lop Gawain's head off. And you know what happens? Michael Buffer comes from the woods, comes out. Are you ready to rumble? Yeah, like just like that. Yeah. All rumble. <laughs> uh, Gawain goes right here. Barely tis a scratch. <laughs> so uh, he fakes him out. And then makes like he goes like, oh, and then he makes fun of him for flinching. Like, oh, <laughs> you flinched about a big axe kind of hit your neck. And then he does it again. He fakes him out twice. And the second time, uh, Gawain doesn't flinch. And he's just like, ooh, look at you, big strong boy. And Gawain's like, please just do it already. And the knight slams the axe down on Gawain's neck and... Any idea? Gets blood. A little bit, though. A little, little cut. Just a little itty bitty cut. And Gawain then jumps back, draws his sword, and is like, hey, I let you hit me like I promised. Now let's fucking go. And the knight is like, mm, no. In fact, I've actually spared you is what I've done because I know you're being a little bitch and you lied to me about the girdle. Also, I faked out those first two hits because you're such a good kisser. 
<gasps> Twist. The Green Knight and the Lord of the Manor are the same dude. Could have been the wife. Well, it's not. Uh. And he laughs and is like, I still think you're pretty brave. Like, we're cool, bro. But Gawain is super embarrassed and he curses the girdle and he throws it on the ground. I don't know if his pants just fall as a result. And he begs to be forgiven. And the knight laughs again and is like, dude, it's fine. Like, I don't even care. Keep the girdle. Come hang out with me and my wife for New Year's. Me and my wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could take this up a notch. Yeah, that, that's really, that's what he says. And you're like, maybe it's just me, but I think there's a pretty strong implication of the invitation for like a New Year's threesome. But Gawain, while insisting that he's very thankful for the invite, is not interested. Then he bitches about the wiles of women bringing down great men like Adam and Solomon and Samson. Which, like, wow, way to hold yourself in very high regard there, Gawain. And also, you didn't take the girdle because his wife was hot. And she bewitched you with her hotness. You took it because you were scared of getting your head chopped off. Just own it. Same. <laughs> Is it really that different? Yes. And then he asks the Green Knight's name. And he says it's Bertiliac de Hout Desert. Yeah. Ber Bertiliac de Hout Desert. I'm fairly certain I've got that right, but who knows. Um, and that he's a servant of Morgan Le Fay. <gasps> Do you know who that is? No. <laughs> Morgan Le Fay, for those not up on their Arthurian lore, is a witch who is Arthur's half-sister, Merlin's occasional side piece, and just kind of a general pain in the ass. She, she likes to make herself everyone's problem. In this case, she was the true identity of the old woman we met for no other reason than she was actually Morgan Le Fay, and she had disguised... Bertie Lack? Yeah. Bertie Lack as the spooky, scary Green Knight and sent him to Camelot in the hopes that his shenanigans would scare Queen Guinevere to death. Which seems like a really roundabout way of going about this. I mean, the guy rode in on a horse underneath it. Yeah. F fuck her, I guess. Um, that's also why he made a big show of waving his severed head in front of her, specifically. How did he pull off that party trick? Morgan Le Fay's magic. She, she went like, you can do this now. Wow. Uh, Bertilac tries one more time to convince Gawain to come party with him and his wife and also Morgan Le Fay. And Gawain again refuses, perhaps now because if anything sexy happens, it's going to be a real awkward thing now that he knows his aunt is also there. Major turnoff. He heads back to Camelot and tells everyone what happened to him and says he'll wear the girdle forever as a symbol of his sins and failures, only to have Arthur tell him that he and all the other knights will all wear green belts as, like, a show of solidarity. And also so that people will think it just means Gwen is wearing it because he's a cool guy. So yeah, Gwen faces basically no consequences for his actions and everyone's cool with everyone. Except Morgan Le Fay, I assume. The end. P.S. He goes back. Gets more smoochies. I mean, one can only hope. That's Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. It's weird, it's pretty fun, and it has a happy ending, which, if you know your Arthur stories, is never a strong guarantee. It's also just chock full of fucking symbolism. Like, I barely scratched the surface. There's also all this stuff with, like, numbers and the three days of kisses versus the three blows of the axe, the game of prizes, the game of beheadings, whether or not the poem is about Jesus or feminism or even post-colonialism in the context of Welsh-English conflict and the philosophical challenging of unthinkingly submitting to chivalric code because it's what you're supposed to do. Also, it's kind of gay. Though scholars are of two minds on this one, arguing either that, like, look, in medieval times, it was not gay to kiss the homies goodnight. 
or alternatively, it's extremely gay to kiss the homies goodnight, but the fact that it only happens in the weird magic castle puts it firmly outside of the, quote, normal heterosexual lifestyle of Camelot. RJ, is it gay to kiss the homies goodnight? No. All right. <laughs> you heard it here first. Also, I'll add in yeah. from my own research. Go for it. One thing they like pointing out, that being scholars, the word game and men in Middle English are only different by one letter. And so they think it's like a play on that. Ah. That it's gom versus gomen. But like, what would that mean? <laughs> men equal games or vice versa. Men do be playing games. <laughs> men do be playing <laughs> games. On the subject of adaptations, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight was adapted for the stage in 1971 and featured medieval carols and something called sword dancing, which is worth a Google if, like me, you didn't know that was a thing. It's, it's pretty sick. There were a couple more in the 90s and then the late 2000s, but they don't mention sword dancing, so who cares? There's also a couple operas because, as we have learned on this show, if you write a book or a poem or basically anything, someone will inevitably come along and make an opera out of it. As they should. Mm. Mm. I got a TV movie in 1991 that looks extremely rough, and an animated 25-minute short in 2002, which you can watch in full on YouTube. It's kind of goofy, and the voice acting is... But it's animated in this really interesting, like, stained glass come-to-life style, which is pretty cool. And apparently it won a BAFTA for it, which is like a British Oscar, I think. Which is weak. <laughs> on the big screen, it was adapted into a movie twice by the same guy. Uh, Writer-director Stephen Weeks. So first is Sir Gawain in the Green Knight in 1973, and then again... In 1984, under the title Sword of the Valiant, The Legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, it had a good chunk of the same cast as the one from 11 years ago, but now it also had Sean Connery as the Green Knight, and also like Peter Cushing and John Rhys Davies, and they're playing others. I don't know. Sir, Sir is not appearing in the original text. And everything is green for me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's very shilly being green, you know. Did they make him green? Uh, no, they did not. Oh. So neither version is good, but the consensus seems to be that the 1984 version sucks the greater amount of ass and is just generally regarded as a bad time. I can't find very much information on why this dude felt like he needed to try and make the same movie twice, apart from something about the first version having, like, shitty distribution. But I feel like there's got to be an interesting story here. Like... Especially with the actors who willingly came back 11 years after making a crappy movie to reprise their roles in the same but slightly different crappy movie. It's a paycheck, man. It's just weird. It's just interesting. Most recently, in July of this past year, after over a year of agonizing delay because of COVID, we got The Green Knight, directed by David Lowry, who has one of the most powerful Wikipedia pictures I've seen in quite some time. Lowry or Lowry? Lowry? I don't know. Look up his Wikipedia picture, though. The movie stars Dev Patel as Gawain and Ralph Ineson as the titular Green Knight. Ralph Ineson? Ineson? Sure. Ah, goddamn. He's Green Knight, along with Alicia Vikander in a dual role as cute brothel girl and sexy but also kind of creepy and unnerving lady who we're not references Morgan. Well, that she's not Morgan Fay, but she she's got weird things going on. There is old lady there, but she's also not Morgan Le Fay. Uh, Morgan Le Fay. Is Gawain's mother in the movie? It's well, weird. right, because it's Arthur's sister. Yeah, but she was still she was also still his Gawain's aunt. 
No, but Scotland's mother. No, only in the movie oh, versions, oh, 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 not in the okay. original lore. And it has Joel Edgerton as the Lord of the Manor. It has mm. significantly. Now there's a man to smooch. Well, unfortunately, it has significantly less kissing of the homies, but significantly more cum explosions. You do kiss once, don't they? Yeah, once. Oh, that's In enough. the original one, he gets kissed, what? So he gets kissed six times over the three days and like two other times apart from that. He gets like eight kisses. Yeah, how many times did it take the scene, though? He, he gets seriously kiss shorted in this version. It's an A24 production, and if you're a film dweeb, you know that means it's a little creepy, extremely horny, vaguely surreal and uncomfortable, and also there's titties. Cumsies. I'm getting to the cum, okay. And I mean, they're, they're generally good movies, usually, except for when they lie about whether or not they're a horror movie, but that's not relevant to what we're talking about here. The green Uncut movie. Gems, no, the biggest horror movie of the Scariest second. movie of them all. Well, I'm gonna come. Yeah, I'm gonna come. It's just I'm... how I come. All the, all the A24 movies have been coming. Yeah, actually most of them. What, Megan, what would you have done in that scene if Adam Sandler then pulled out his hand? I would not have been very surprised at that point. Uncut Gems is a ride. The Green Knight uh, takes a fairly significant detour from the source material, but it also has a talking fox and a giant naked bald woman made of stone with giant stone titties. And tush. And tush. It's all stuff. Uh, it adds in some interesting kind of weird mommy issues with Morgan Le Fay being the mom and shit, and I don't know. It mostly focuses on the story as like a late bloomer coming of age sort of story. Like, coming. Coming. Just a slacker knight who really needs to get his shit together. And also he wears a magic sash that is just caked with his own semen. <laughs> he comes <laughs> so much. It's been a while. <laughs> this is not a joke. <laughs> this is a thing that happens. Um, also, I don't know why it's a sash and not a girdle. It's very clearly just a belt. Maybe because it would be easier to show how he doesn't take it off or something, but he, he does just come all over it. It's a really visually pretty movie. It's worth checking out if you're an enjoyer of that kind of thing. Also, Dev Patel and Alicia Vikander are just fucking gorgeous, obviously. But, uh, yeah. Poor Joel Edgerton only gets one measly kiss out of him. I'll give him more. <laughs> Someone has to. So, that was the uh, part of the show where we get to... You didn't talk about the cumsies. I did talk about... I just said he can't... How, do you, how else am I meant to talk about the cumsies apart from saying he comes all over all the right, sash? If you, if you don't want to give... The sash is just fucking caked. All right, if you don't want to give geez. spoilers on what happens, like the blow by blow, literally, it's okay. Um, Alicia Vikander's the lady of the manor. She gives him a hand job and is like, you want this girl? You want this fucking girl? And he's like, yes! And then it just... <laughs> Like, is that enough of a description for you? Yes. Okay. And now it's time for the part of the show where we do this part of the show. I think that's how I say it. I don't know. It's been a while. And it goes like, hey, RJ. What up? Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Good? Bad? Green? Well, I'm t pretty sure it's green. Like I said, this gray, cream-colored, yellow grass maybe works, but the other ones don't because... Every damn church is gray or stone, so you never find it. So definitely the Green Knight. Yeah, sure. I mean these Night Tales, they're fun. Doesn't matter if it stars Dev Patel or Heath Ledger. They're all good in the end. <laughs> or Martin Lawrence, the best knight of all. You got the men. You got some games. Men like games. Men do be play games. <laughs> men do play games. Coming of age. Coming on hands, 
kissing people, riding underneath horses. It's got it all. And it's old. So, you know, it's inspired a lot of people taking from old literature. I mean, I've got that in Yeah, so. Hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ. Gawain. (laughs) And the Green Knight. Your thoughts. Yeah, I like it. I mean. No, you gotta do it as Kermit, though. I think he, he's Kermit, he, Kermit Frog here. Kermit well, D-frog. not at night. I, my, he my is. Kermit he, was very bad. You need, you need to stand the Green King. <laughs> the short Green King. The short Green King. love a short Green King. My Kermit the Frog is not very good. Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog. I love the Green Knight. <laughs> Piggy. <laughs> Kermit? Who was that? Piggy. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> This is the obvious thing that we always run into with real old literature. Namely, you know, if we're still retelling this 14th century story in 2021, then clearly it has some merit and or staying power. It's a pretty quick read with a bunch of versions available online, and the 1898 translation is honestly extremely readable. Although if you're really into it, you can also read the Middle English Tolkien version uh, for free online because maybe you like pain and trying to figure out how the thorn letter works. Anyway, who doesn't like a vaguely horny Christmas story about some beheadings and or kissing between friends? No one that's telling the truth. And so that'll about do it for this episode of Ono Lit Class. Uh, we don't really do Facebook anymore, but uh, we're still, you can add us on Twitter, go to our blog on Tumblr. Or you could go to the Discord, which is technically the Discord for The Weird, the actual play TTRPG podcast that I also do, but is also on a break. But we got a big old Discord, and it's full of a lot of Onolit class people. I'll put I'll put a link. It'll be great. Our website was apparently down for a little bit, when I did, which I didn't know about. But you can still check out everything at onolitclass.com, including our merch store. I'm not going to say what date the next episode will be out on, because I don't know. But it'll it'll be there. It'll be there eventually. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm still RJ. Better than ever. RJ4. (laughs) Wait, did we lose another one? Merry New Year's. (laughs) We love you. Bye. Hello and welcome to... (laughs) 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 welcome to probably another alliterative another alliterative poem i don't know you got you can see when you redo it meg you gotta hit it again sorry another alliterative poem certain man another yeah Unique. New <laughs> York. Was that one of your speakers? It was. Oops. Unique New York. <clears throat> Another alliterative poem. That was even worse. <laughs> <laughs> Alliterative. You can do this. I believe in you.